Oh, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Okay, I don't know. Are we, is there, like, there's some greetings where they're, like, there's a back and forth at Thanksgiving. I guess there isn't, but I'm really thankful for those of you extroverts that are just like, we're going for it. Happy Thanksgiving this morning. Yeah. We're thankful indeed. There we go. Brian's got it. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley. And yeah, we're in a series called What's Up with Christians? And particularly this morning, we're asking the question of what's up with Christians being so exclusive? Because honestly, whether you've grown up a Christian or whether you came from outside of Christianity, oftentimes you'll see a church and you'll kind of look at from the outside and you'll be like, I wonder who goes there. And sometimes it'll feel like an exclusive community. And sometimes Christians have done things to make it feel very exclusive too. Uh, maybe you've had an experience that made you feel excluded from Christianity, from the church. I'm really sorry if that's the case. Um, but this morning I want to dig into why that might be the, the case and how God speaks into that. What does God what does Jesus teach about that? And so this morning's message is called More Than Enough, and we're looking at John chapter 14, if you're wondering where we're going to end up. But to get there, I want to start by imagining having dinner with a group of people. And maybe it's that you have your boss is like, hey, I want to get the whole company together. I want you guys to actually be friends or whatever, and so they have a company dinner and everybody's eating dinner together, all your workmates that you're kind of friends with and kind of not. Or maybe it's Thanksgiving dinner with your family or your friends, you're doing Friendsgiving, and you're all sitting around the table having a nice meal and the food is delicious. But sometimes you're having a nice dinner and the food is delicious and then something happens that makes it so that the food, you honestly quit tasting the food. Because somebody, that one uncle or whoever that happens to be, decides to break the rules because there's three things you're not supposed to talk about at a family dinner or any, like, you're just not supposed to talk about if you want to get along with people. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion, right? We keep those to ourselves. But that one uncle is like, so you hear about what the prime minister did. Don't care which prime minister, but whichever prime minister it happens to be. And they start going off about how if their prime minister was in office, he would fix all the problems of the world. All these problems we face in life would be solved if we just had the right prime minister. But this one that we've got, he's causing every problem in the world. And you're like, well, well, maybe politics can't fix everything, but you're just hoping that he stops talking and that everybody just, there's an awkward silence and then we move on, right? But instead, somebody else can't keep their mouth shut. Your other uncle or your dad or your mom or your cousin, not you, but somebody else is like, actually, the whole reason why the prime minister we have isn't able to fix everything is because of your party. They're causing every problem in the world. And how good does your turkey taste at this point? Can you even taste the turkey? It's stressful. And maybe you don't get stressed with conflict like I do. I don't enjoy conflict that much. I'm definitely like, I don't know what the food tastes like right now. I just want this conversation to end. 
I just want to go back to pretending that we're friends at least. At least just pretend. And so then you jump in as the third person and you're like, try to be like, hey, but you both want the same things, kind of like, you're kind of similar, you're kind of on the same page. Like you want everybody to have lots of money and a nice house and live a nice life and have freedom. Like we can kind of agree on that, right? So we're kind of on the same page. And you try to get them to agree with each other a little bit and hopefully it'll calm things down. And it's a nice thing, but if you're honest, you know that they believe very different things. You know that if you say, hey, the liberals and the conservatives are basically the same, that somebody's going to get very offended. And really, at the end of the day, if you give them the same amount of tax money, they're going to spend it on different things. So they're different. They have different values. So they're going to take different actions with that money, which are going to create different futures for the country. So as much as you try to be like you're on the same page, you're probably not. We're not going to talk about sex, but the other topic you're not supposed to talk about if you want to get along is religion, right? And so oftentimes, to avoid the feeling of disagreements around religion, we go, well, what you believe is true for you and what I believe is true for me. And that sounds nice. Or you go, but if that starts to fall apart, then we go, well, you kind of believe, we all believe in kind of similar things. Like, we all want people to be good people, Right? So we're all kind of on the same page. Like we all just want, all of the religions are just kind of teaching us how to be good people. Which also sounds nice. Or there's this really, really good illustration, this good image that sounds really nice. Because you imagine that you have a bunch of people that have never seen an elephant before in their life. They never heard of an elephant. And you blindfold them all and you take them to the zoo and you're like, tell, like, you're blindfolded but feel this animal and tell us what it is. And one person's like, it's kind of like this huge, super strong snake, right? The other one's like, no, this one's more like, it's like, it's like, it's got tree trunks. And someone else is like, it just keeps slapping me. And they're all describing the same animal, but they're, well, one's got the trunk and one's got the leg and the other's got the tail slapping them in the face. And so sometimes people will be like, that's how religions work. We're all, all religions are just trying to explain the same higher spiritual force power out there. And they're just experiencing different parts of it and describing different parts of it. And if we just realize that, then we won't quit fighting so much and we'll get along, right? Which sounds nice, except if we're honest different religions lead to different values. And different values lead to us taking different actions. And taking different actions leads to us having different futures here on this earth. And if there's a spiritual future, it definitely affects what that spiritual future looks like. And so at some point you have to go, okay, religions or no religion all lead to different things. They all lead to different futures. And maybe there's right and maybe there's wrong. Maybe one of them's got it right, one of them's got it wrong. You go, Christianity's all about being a nice person, right? So Jesus just taught us to be nice people. So he's never going to say anything offensive about religion, right? And uh, he gives us this pretty interesting passage. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says what definitely in our culture today could be one of the most offensive statements of Jesus. 
Because Jesus told Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sounds nice. No one can come to the Father. No one can get to God except through me. No other religion, no other belief is going to lead you to God except Jesus. And I don't know about you, I wouldn't want a billboard saying, there's no way to get to God except through Jesus with my face next to it. I would not want that because I know that people would be like, that's pretty offensive. That's pretty hurtful that you're saying that I'm wrong, that you're right and I'm wrong. And there's a couple assumptions that make that statement really offensive. There's a couple assumptions that we hold in our culture that make saying there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus, a very offensive statement. And the first assumption is that if you disagree with someone that you don't value them as much. That to disagree with someone is to devalue them. Do so you think about that like when you're having that family dinner or that dinner with all your workmates and you start talking politics and people start disagreeing, they start getting angry because they feel devalued because somebody disagrees with them. They go, hey, if we all pretend that we agree with each other on politics, we all feel loved and valued and cared about. But as soon as we disagree, I feel like you think that I'm a less valuable person. And there's topics that are even more difficult to talk about, like sexuality, because when we talk about sexuality, often we go, hey, if you disagree with how I view sexuality and how I practice it, then you must value me less. And it's definitely a belief of our culture that to disagree with somebody is to value them less. And I think it's part of how humans tend to just operate. It's part of human nature is that when we disagree with somebody, we don't value them as much, right? It's pretty natural. And if that's true, then saying, hey, I disagree with you about religion, so I value you less, would be true. But what's really interesting is that God sets an example of saying that's not how we're meant to be as humans. We're not actually meant to value people less because we disagree with them. That's a problem in humanity that God wants to set an example of doing something different. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, Our friendship with God was restored, was brought back together by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. What's interesting was God restored relationship with us while we were still his enemies. He valued us completely while we didn't just disagree with him. We were going the opposite way from him. We said, we want to do life on our own. We don't want you your wisdom. We don't want your direction in our life. We want to do this on our own. And he said, I value you so much. I love you completely. So I will even die for you while you completely disagree with me. I value you completely while you completely disagree with me. He didn't go, hey, once we're kind of at least sort of getting along, then I care about you. Then I value you. Then I respect you. He went, no, I created you as a human. You're my creation. I love you so much. I would do anything for you. I would even die for you, even if you don't, even if you completely disagree with me. But then the second, the second assumption that we have, we assume that to disagree with somebody is to devalue them. But then the second assumption that we have 
is that we believe that God is exclusive. We believe that God has some boundaries on how he, about with people. We often assume that I have to be the right kind of person for God to want me. Maybe I have to be born to the right country or the right people group for God to want me. And even if you don't believe that, then you start to go, maybe I need to have lived the right kind of life for God to want me. Maybe I've lived a life already. I've done things in my life already that mean that God won't ever want me. I've disqualified myself. And you think that God's kind of exclusive. You think that God's limited to just some people. Or if you don't believe that, what we almost always believe is that we have to figure out how to get to God. This is kind of part of almost all human belief is that we believe that if there is some sort of higher spiritual power out there, that we have to figure out how to get to it and how to earn its love or its mercy or its favor. And that's a really normal assumption to have. It actually makes a lot of sense to have it because if we look at the beliefs of different world religions, this is a very normal belief. I went, it's tricky getting summaries of world religions, but I went to Wikipedia because on any highly contested topic, Wikipedia actually kind of, they get the most dialed in, the most, nobody can disagree with this, statements. So here's a summary of different religious beliefs. Of a, so Buddhists believe that the human life is one of suffering, which I'm pretty sure we can agree with. That there's a lot of suffering in this life. And that meditation, spiritual and physical labor, and good behavior are the ways to achieve enlightenment or nirvana. So to get spiritual fulfillment, to get to enlightenment or nirvana, you need to do what? Uh, let's see. Meditation, spiritual and physical labor, and good behavior. So there's a place to get to. There's a spiritual place to get to. And to get there, we need to take these steps. And then Muslims believe all humankind will be judged by their good and bad deeds and consigned to Jannah, which is paradise, or Jahannam, which is hell. And so to get, so they're like, there's a God, and that God judges your good and bad deeds. So if you want to get to heaven or paradise, not hell, you need to do enough good deeds that they outweigh your bad deeds. So here's where you want to get to. And to get to God, you take these steps. And then in Sikhism, the fate of people vulnerable to the five thieves of ego, anger, greed, and attachment, and lust, which I think most of us are vulnerable to at least one of those. But the fate, if we're vulnerable to one of these things, is separation from God. And the situation may be remedied only after intensive and relentless devotion. So in Sikhism, to get to God, there's a prerequisite that we must do intensive and relentless devotion. And so it makes sense. It makes sense to us. This is how humans, like, it makes sense of if there's this higher spiritual power and we know that we don't match up with them, then we must take these steps to get to them and then earn their favor or their love or their mercy. So then Wikipedia summarizes Christianity as this. Wikipedia summarizes that the core of Christian belief is that through belief in and acceptance of the death and resurrection of Jesus, sinful humans can be reconciled, human, sinful humans can be made right with God and thereby are offered salvation and the promise of eternal life. So Christianity, the work that you have to do to get to God 
is believe and accept. That's not really a process. That's just, that sounds like if, like if somebody showed, like you imagine a package getting delivered to you, you're told, hey, there's a package for you. The post office has sent you a parcel, right? And, some, and oftentimes I get something in my mailbox that says, hey, there's a parcel for you at the post office. You must go to the post office, present your ID, proving that you are who you say you are, and then you will get your parcel. And you have to go to the post office and prove that you are who you are to get your parcel, right? And that's kind of normally how religions work. They're like, there's this spiritual wholeness out there, whether it's a god or it's enlightenment or whatever it is, it's out there, take these steps, and earn it. And then Christianity flips it on its head and they're like, hey, we're here at your door. All you have to do is say, yeah, I believe that this is for me and I accept it. Which honestly, if somebody shows up at your door and they don't look like a, they're from the postal service and they have a package for you and they're like, hey, here's a box for you. You might be like, I don't know about this package. Is it legit? I'm not sure if I believe that this is safe. But there's something uniquely different about Christianity here. In John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, I love how it describes this. For this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved humanity. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son. God sent Jesus to us into the world, to humanity. God sent his son to us. He did not say, come to me. He said, I'm coming to you. And not to judge the world, not to go, hey, are you good enough? Do you qualify for me? Can you earn my love and my favor and my mercy? No. Not to judge the world, not to judge humanity, but to save the world through him. Which is really interesting. This is the foundation on which Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a really offensive statement if you think you need to be good enough for Jesus to want you. If you think that you need to earn it. It's a really offensive statement if you think it's only for some people. But instead, it's actually the most open invitation. He's saying, I loved you so much I value humanity so much. I valued you so much that before we were, you ever agreed with me, I would lay down my life for you. I sent my son to live with you and invite you. If we jump to the beginning of John chapter 14, there's an incredible invitation, an incredible statement. Jesus says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. And if we hear the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and we think that we have to earn our way in, and there's only so many seats, there's only so many rooms in God's house, the Christianity sounds very exclusive and very much like, are you in or you're out? Is there enough room for you? Can you get your way in? 
But instead, what Jesus is actually saying is, don't let your heart be troubled. There's more than enough room. There's more than enough room for every single human to have right relationship with God again and be part of God's future. There's more than enough room for you. Before you were even born, God was preparing a room for you. He was getting it ready. He's going, hey, what color do you want like, the walls to be painted? Are you one of those people that likes to have a glass of water by the side of your bed? He's getting it ready for every single human. There's, it's, there's, if you say no, there's just going to be an empty room. So God's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. When you think that you're following a God that you have to be good enough for, that you have to be the right kind of person for, that you have to earn your way to him, you're going to be a little troubled. Oftentimes people avoid thinking about the spiritual world because they're troubled, because they're afraid that if they think about the spiritual world and they start to look for answers, that what they're going to find is they're disqualified. That they're not good enough for whatever higher spiritual power is out there. And Jesus is saying, no. You're, you're automatically qualified for my love because I love every human. I create every human. I create them for an amazing life, amazing relationship with me and the humans around them. God created every human and he created them for so much. But part of the beauty of how much he loved them is he said, hey, I'm going to let you choose your future. I love you so much. I'm not going to control you and force you into my will. I'm going to let you choose your own path in life. And as humans, we each, in our own way, choose to try to create our own future away from God. We say, God, yeah, you have your way, but I want to go do this my way. And we start to see sin and pain and brokenness and suffering. And sometimes it's because of somebody else's choice, and sometimes it's because of ours. And we go, I can't fix this, and I can see my future. And the future that I'm creating for myself, the way that I'm living my life in my own will, is not working out great. There's some parts that are great, but there's some parts that aren't. I need some help. And the God of the universe is sitting there saying, hey, I'm not just watching from way back here, just waiting for you to figure things out and go, oh, I need God, and, I'm, and then watch you work your way to me. He's saying, I'm coming to you. I'm sending my son to live on earth for 33 years as a human to tell you I have more than enough room for you in my future. I can bring you back into right relationship with me. I can recreate everything that's been broken in your life. I can heal what's gone wrong. I want that for you. All you have to do is believe me and accept that. And when you give your life to God, he says, I'm going to create something new in it. I let you decide that you're in charge. I gave you the ability to be in charge of your life. But if you let me be back in charge of your life, I'm going to do something new in it. I'm ready for it. I've already prepared a room for you in my house. So what do, we do, so what do you do with that? What do we do with that? It's interesting. Because Jesus came and gave this great invitation for all of humanity. But Jesus came for 33 years to earth. He came to humanity for 33 years to invite them into the future that God had for them. And he only spent three of those years actually really saying, hey, I'm inviting you. And he was doing this in a little tiny country in the Middle East called Israel. If you're inviting all of your friends to your birthday party, 
And say you have 100 friends. I don't know how many friends you have, but say you have 100 friends. And you go and you invite 1% of your friends, one of your friends. And you're like, I'm real. I'm inviting everybody to my birthday party. No, you're not. You're going to have one friend show up. And they're going to be like, this is weird and awkward. And the rest of your friends, are gonna, 99 friends, are going to be a little offended that you didn't invite them. And that's kind of what Jesus did, where he's like, hey, I'm coming for, for three years. I'm going to invite people. I'm going to invite probably less than 1% of humanity into the future that God has for them. And then I'm going to send back to heaven to the Father. And I guess tough luck for everybody else. No, 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 no. That's the amazing thing. Because Jesus said, I'm inviting you into this future, but I'm not bringing you there yet. I actually am inviting you into continuing the work that I came here on earth to do. I came to invite you into the future, and now I want you to invite everyone else. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been entrusted to continue to do the work of Jesus here on earth, which means valuing others when they completely disagree with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying, I want you to value others even when they completely disagree with you. And there's some people that's easy where you're like, well, their ideas are dumb, but that's okay. They're a nice person. I, I can value them still. And then there's those people that choose to be your enemy. Those people that seek to damage your life. And God says, I want you to value them even when they completely disagree with you. And not only that, God wants you to be completely inclusive, doing whatever it takes to invite everyone. He was willing to die on a cross, die a torturous death as part of the process of inviting everyone. And he says, I want you to be radically inclusive. I want you to be completely inclusive and invite everyone and not make people feel like, oh, you've got to be the right kind of person. You've got to look the right way or you've got to fit in, the, in this way or you've got to earn your way to be good enough to be part of a conversation with Jesus. But no, say, God doesn't care about who you are. He cares about who you want to become. He's inviting you into becoming who he created you to be. He knows that you're not who you created to be right now. That there's things going on in your life that aren't how you were created to be, that you chose and are taking control of you. And he says, I want to free you from that. And so our responsibility is to invite others with that invitation, saying, whoever you are, God wants you. There's already a room for you. There's more than enough room. And thinking through history, looking through history, there's some interesting moments of that. Even before Jesus came to earth, the followers of God, the Israelites had been, they had been in a country, they'd had their own country, they'd been taken captive at one point. And they'd been enslaved and taken to the nation of Babylon. And they're in Babylon, and they're basically slaves. They're a conquered people. Their enemies have taken control of them. And Jeremiah, a prophet, wrote a letter to the people in Babylon who were enslaved, who were being oppressed, who, had, who were living with their enemies in control, living in a land where their enemies were in control, and they were the oppressed minority. And he writes them, and Jeremiah writes them and says, Seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. Seek the well-being of your enemies. Seek the well-being of those who not only disagree with you, but are oppressing you. In more recent history, 
This last century, there's different stories of Christians getting caught up in the middle of wars. And they end up becoming prisoners of war. There's some incredible stories of Christians that end up in these prison camps. And they don't just quietly pray and stay faithful. They actually love their captors. They love their guards. They pray for them. They care about them. They seek the well-being of the people that have arrested them, have killed them, their families. They invest in them. And not only that, they invite them to become followers of Jesus. They say, God wants you. We might disagree about this war. We might disagree about who should be alive and who shouldn't. But God wants you still. God still has a room for you. One of the experiences I've had in church that really was, like, it sticks with me. Um, when I was a youth pastor, so I was leading a youth group. And we do a youth night every week, and I talk on different topics about what the Bible says about things and teach people about, yeah, what the Bible communicates. Kind of like this with teenagers. And we did a series on sexuality and gender. And in this series on sexuality and gender, I say, hey, if we're looking at what the Bible says, my best understanding of it is that God has this intention for humanity and how we practice our sexuality and gender. And it's like, okay, this is, this is a little bit of a tense topic. Um, people can be offended. Um, teenagers are pretty passionate. They might get angry, get their feelings hurt. I don't know what's going to happen here. But I do this series, I say that. I felt it was really important to make sure that people knew that God was saying this because he valued them so much. And that regardless of what choices we make, God doesn't quit loving us. Even when we completely disagree with him, he loves us completely. We need to be a community. We need to be a church that does that. So with this group of teenagers, I'm sharing that. And then, of course, the next week, one of my youth brings a friend that is choosing to live a life around their sexuality and gender that was completely opposite to what I said God wanted for them. I was like, you sure that, like, I just said this is what God wants for them, and you brought your friend that believes that, that's living this life. Like, I love them, I care about them, but I didn't expect you to bring them to youth. And they're like, no, for sure. And this friend stayed there. We stayed in disagreement, but they stayed in our group. They felt so loved and valued while knowing that we completely disagreed. Because we had the culture, we didn't have the culture of our world where to disagree with someone is to devalue them. We had a culture where we saw everyone as God's creation. We saw everyone loved completely by God, regardless of what their life looked like, regardless of whether they followed the directions that we believe God gives them. And they felt so loved. They were like, I want to be here. They showed up every week because they needed the love that God had for them in our community. We were able to invite them to know and follow Jesus. And I really hope that in your life, I hope that in your life, that you're faithful to follow Jesus in this. That you're faithful to look in your life for who do I disagree with the most? Who are the people that I honestly have a hard time valuing because of how much I disagree with them? And you intentionally go, God, give me your love for them. Let me see them as you see them with your love and love them completely, value them completely, even if they, we completely disagree whether it's on a biblical thing or whether it's just on our politics. I want to value them completely. But let me not just stop at that. Let me 
do everything I can to invite them to know and follow Jesus and say, God has a place for you. He is preparing a room for you. You just have to accept it. So I'd love to spend a moment in prayer right now as the man comes up. God, it's hard sometimes when we live in a culture, we live in a world where it's expected that you would be exclusive, where we always just kind of naturally expect that we have to be good enough for you, that you only want us if we look this way and act that way. That we have to earn your love and your favor. Sometimes it's hard to believe that you actually love us no matter who we are, where we are, what we are. That you see who you create us as and you say, I love you. And I know the plans I had for you before you were born. I want you to live those plans out. But you can only do that with me. And you offer to recreate our lives. It's hard to believe that sometimes, God, but I pray that you keep proving that to us. If there's any of us here this morning that maybe this is the first time we've heard it, maybe it's, we've heard it this many times, but we keep hearing you say, I want you, I have a room ready for you. I want to recreate your life. Just say yes, just accept this. You don't have to do anything to earn it or to prove it. I pray that you would work in their life. If there's anybody here this morning that you're in that place where you keep hearing God invite you, keep saying, I have a room for you, and you haven't said yes yet, I want to give you a moment right now to say, yes, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. Yes, God, I want you to recreate my life. I want you to heal what's gone wrong inside of me and around me. Say, God, I give you my life. If that's your prayer right now, I want you to just pray with me and say, in your mind, God, I give you my life. If you're praying that right now, I'd love for you to just raise your hand so I can follow up with you. God, I give you my life. All right. And for those of us that have already given Jesus our life, that we've said, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to recreate my life. We've been called by Jesus to continue his work here on earth, to continue to love everyone completely, regardless of whether we agree or not, whether they're our enemies or our friends. That we love everyone completely. And not just that, that we would be completely inclusive, inviting them into the future that God has for them, saying God has a room for you. So I want you to take a moment right now to think of someone in your life. Let God bring someone to your mind that you disagree with. I want you to take a moment to think of someone that you disagree with in your life. And I want you to think of someone that you disagree with and commit to, I'm going to value them completely. And not only am I going to value them completely, I'm going to find every opportunity I can to invite them to follow Jesus. I'm going to find every opportunity I can to say, God has a place for you in the future. He's just saying, be a part of it. So I want to take a second. Once you've thought of someone that you completely disagree with and you can commit to valuing completely and inviting, I want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to take a moment here because I want to see every hand up. I want to see our hands up because I believe that God's put somebody in every single one of our lives that we can value completely even if we disagree with them. He's going to be faithful to work in that as we give him that opportunity. 
All right, let's pray for these people together. God, we pray for those that you brought to our minds. We pray for those that may have hurt us. We pray for those that may have wounded us. Loving those that we disagree with is easy when it's just philosophical disagreements, but when it's relational, when it's somebody actively has worked against us, it's hard. We pray that you would fill us with our love, that you would fill us with your love, that you would help us see them from your perspective as your precious child that's chosen to walk away, that's chosen to walk away from your plan for their life. I pray that you'd help us to see how we can communicate that value and how we can communicate your hope for them, your value for them, and invite them to be a part of the future that you create them for. In your name, amen.